We're not even has been. We're never was is. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. All right, we're back to the rink, back to the ice, back to the Mighty Ducks, and we're back with Kyle Reeves. What's going on, Kyle Reeves? The quack attack is back, Jack. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. I'm ready to uh, dive right in and figure out who is quite literally the best Mighty Duck. Mightiest of ducks. Absolute mightiest. But before that, we have our fan favorite segment, the Spoonful of Sugar. Chris, what is your Spoonful of Sugar today? So my Spoonful of Sugar story is quite epic. Um, Kyle texted me before the show started and he was like, you better have a good Spoonful of Sugar this week. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so um, it's get, it's getting cold out east. Uh, a lot of our uh, podcast fans are West Coast based, but out here in New York City, it's like 30 degrees right now. So it's getting cool, kind of getting in the holiday spirit. And I decided to brew my own butter beer. Oh. Now Harry Potter's not a Disney property, but you know I don't always discriminate when it comes to this kind of stuff. I'm a nerd through and through. So. Uh, yeah, I got a recipe from the YouTube channel How to Drink. Highly recommend him and his concoctions. It's it's a great channel if you're into like pop culture cocktails and just cocktails in general. He's a super smart guy. Um, and so I basically got a pint of legit ale, like not like hipster guy with a beard in <laughs> Brooklyn drinking an ale, like an actual ale that like a man from that London would drink. Uh, <laughs> and I put it in a pot with some nutmeg and cloves and ginger and combine it with some Demerara sugar and eggs, egg yolks. And I melted a stick of butter inside of it at the very end to make it oh nice boy. and buttery. And it was very interesting. Uh, I'm not a huge beer guy, and this particular recipe was like very heavy on the ale flavor. I think it was like supposed to be very true to like what an actual butter beer type cocktail would taste like. Right. Not like just like a sugary, buttery, like something you'd find in the theme park. Mm-hmm. So I drank a mug of it. Can't say I was the biggest fan. And then I got back to the stove and like the eggs had like curdled on top of the uh, like concoction no. and then I pour it down the drain. So I was like, shoot, now I have to record this podcast and I don't have a spoonful of sugar. So I just pulled a fast one, made a GNT, but I used Bombay gin, so I'm calling it a win and tonic. Oh, there you go. I told I you it was a saga. It. It's a long story, my spoonful of sugar this week. That what was you very got, worth Kyle it. Skinner. I went ahead and cooked something up a little bit more simple than your experience there. I did a bourbon sidecar, um, just some bourbon, some triple sec, some uh, lemon juice, but I'm going to go ahead and call this the bourbon crossbar. Oh, crossbar. Hockey. A little little hockey there. Mm. Kyle Reeves, you got a spoonful of sugar for us? I've been drinking down a brownie batter 
protein shake that I have, and in the spirit of the podcast, and in the spirit of uh, of sugar, um, I'm thinking it's not the biggest stretch in the world to go from a dessert with brownies to a dessert with cake. So I'll call it the cake eater. Yeah, there it love is. it, love it. All right, spoonful of sugars in hand. We are ready to talk about a little something called the Little Mermaid Live! Exclamation point. ABC, the wonderful world of Disney, ran this uh, this past Tuesday, November 5th, and they kind of advertised it as a live version of The Little Mermaid, starring such stars as Moana's Auli'i Cravalho. She played Princess Ariel. Queen Latifah, who played Ursula. Everyone's favorite semi-reggae rapper Shaggy, playing Sebastian. John Stamos, playing the chef whose name we always forget. Graham Phillips as Prince Eric. And and that's, that's your big Broadway lineup. While they say that it was live, it was indeed live, but it's kind of like how they say that The Lion King was live action, in that it's like, sure, but it's not really. It was a show that ran through the actual animated movie on a screen for an audience. But then every time there was a song, they would cut into like a live Broadway version of that song featuring these these actors and actresses. It felt weird. I don't know how you felt about it, Chris, but it felt weird. I felt like as good of a job as Queen Latifah did as Ursula, it felt super like forced and she attempted to be extremely over the top, which made her just sound like she was trying to sing harder than she actually could. Um, Ariel and Eric, I thought were fine, but um, Ali, she could not quite hit the notes that Jody Benson could, and you could tell. She also couldn't really hold the notes that Jody Benson could, and that's not to say that she wasn't a good singer, but I think that people had expectations, including me, at this was going to be a, a grand Broadway show, and it felt like you didn't cast the right people for the right roles. John Stamos's scene was so bizarre. It was like they they made this big scene for Chef Louis, only because obviously John Stamos was that casted character, and like the the crabs fighting the chefs at one point and all of the crabs are little kids and John Stamos is running around with his bad French accent throwing <laughs> breadcrumbs onto the crowd. It just, I don't know. It felt weird. And Shaggy is the worst person to have as Sebastian. Oh my goodness. Every scene that he showed up in as Sebastian had to do under the sea and kiss the girl it was just like, what is happening? And the last thing I'll say, and I'll let you say your piece, Chris, is for being a Disney production who also has partial ownership, if not full, in the Jim Henson company, the puppeting that was going on in this Broadway show was something that would debut at the summer camp you and I worked at. It was so lackluster. The Sebastian puppet felt like a Pinterest fail. Yes. Um, Shaggy's costume felt like a Pinterest fail. Shaggy's Sebastian costume was like 
how some folks go to Disney parks and they're bounding where like you're not allowed to actually dress up as the character, but you're trying to look as close as you can without getting in trouble. Right. Apparently, one of the producers shared a photo of Shaggy wearing the lobster hands in rehearsals, and the producer said he looked so ridiculous they had him take it off. So it was just a guy in a red outfit. Looks like Michael Jackson or Eddie Murphy or whatever. Right. Um, for me, Shaggy was the worst part of the, the production. I love It Wasn't Me. I love Angel. <laughs> Nothing against him as a performer or artist in any way. No disrespect to Shaggy, but he was out of his element, and you could tell. You could definitely tell. Um, And that's really, I think, the main problem with this was it felt like they were trying to do two things at once. And all of these live shows, you know, there was a Sound of Music one with Carrie Underwood, and there was a Peter Pan one with Christopher Walken or something. Yeah. they're all terrible. The only one, the only one I've ever seen pull off well was the Grease one that Fox did, and and that one was incredible. Um, and I, I don't know how they did it. I would attribute that one's success to the talent that they got to do it. Yes. The guy who played Danny Zuko was Aaron Tavet, who is a Broadway star. And I really wish that this Little Mermaid live thing had just gone full Broadway with it, like you said, and done a real legit Broadway production live yeah, and gotten people who are used to performing on stage in that environment at that pace. And the problem is those aren't household names. Right. And with any type of live show, whether it's something like this or the Academy Awards or the Grammys or the Country Music Awards, you're only trying to get an audience one time. You're just trying to get them to turn on the TV once to watch it, and then it's gone forever. You don't have to get people buying it on DVD. It's not in theaters for three weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, and you're trying to get good word of mouth so people will go see it. It just has to be turned on one time. And the best way to do that is to get people on it that the general public wants to see. So they see Ali E. Carvalho on there and they see Queen Latifah on there and John Stamos in a funny mustache and they go, oh my God, I have to see that. And if they put legit Broadway personalities in there, the general public probably wouldn't be into it. Diehard Disney fans would be into it. Diehard Broadway fans would be into it. But the general public that exists in the middle probably wouldn't tune in. Sure. So I understand Absolutely. why they make these terrible casting choices. Like the John Stamos thing was awful. It was cringy. Yeah. It was like he was out of breath the entire time. It was over choreographed and it was just bad. Yeah. At first I was like, I'm kind of into this. This like half of the time they're showing the animated movie and the other half they're doing the songs on the stage. I'm kind of into this because the worst part about the live shows traditionally are like the acting scenes. People just tune in to watch Carrie Underwood do the ones Do Re Mi song, whatever. Right. And then everything in between them acting on stage is unnatural because they're not actors, they're singers, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like you'll get these people that aren't actors and they don't have to do the acting parts. So we'll just see them do the musical number parts and you'll have time to do like bigger set changes in between scenes because the camera is 
cut to the footage from the animated movie. So this could work out. And the first number I thought was great. I thought they did a really good job, especially transitioning from like the waves of the ocean and they like sucked the scrim off stage and it was yes. revealed to be like the boat scene. And yes. it was very high energy and they Absolutely. had incredible aerialists through the entire yep. thing. Um, and I was like, I'm into this. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And then it just kind of felt like they half did one thing and half did the other thing and it really fell off and Twitter absolutely shredded it. Oh, big time. It was it was all anyone was talking about on Twitter that night and I felt bad because I didn't think it was terrible. I definitely think it was not worth watching, but Same. I didn't think it I didn't think it was like offensively bad where like I wish I didn't watch it or anything like that. Um Everyone loved Queen Latifah, but like you said, I I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have. It just felt like she was attempting to embody this character and then turn it up to eleven, and she didn't need to do that. Yeah, the only person who I really thought knew what they were doing was the guy who played Prince Eric. Right, Graham Phillips. He, yes, he seemed like he had some musical theater background. His voice was all right. And one thing, for some reason, Twitter was absolutely furious that he got his own song. And that song exists in the Little Mermaid Broadway production. Right. So does the song that they're singing where it was like they were like in two different bedrooms right next to each other. That right. song's in the Broadway production too. Both great songs. I love those songs because they're really about like the characters and the struggles and like all that stuff. I think, I think it's yeah. great. Especially... A, a prince like Prince Eric, who is kind of garbage prince, mm -hmm. right? Little treat for those of you listening to this episode. Our next bracket's going to be best Disney princes. <laughs> so we'll talk all about how terrible of a prince Prince Eric is. But those are the types of things that give these terrible princes a little bit more depth. You get to spend a little bit more time with them and figure out what their desires are and what their wants are and some of their motivations and stuff. So I thought that that was awesome they included that song. But... Yeah, for the most part, it was like a second grader was directing it, and yeah. the the kiss the girl. Oh my gosh, the kiss the girl, Kyle. That's probably my favorite song in the entire movie, and I agree. one of the greatest scenes in the entire movie. And they completely butchered it. I cannot get those puppet frogs out of my head. Oh my god, it was a it was a puppet flotsam and jetsam, and. It was like they came in from the side of the screen and you knew that there was like a, a puppeteer with like the two eels on his arms and he just like reached around the camera and was like, meh. So <laughs> bad. It was so, so bad. weird. And another thing that really messed up was Part of Your World, which is such a powerful song and a great princess song and really gives a good glimpse into who Ariel is. And... They were, like, focused on a random couple dancing. Yeah. Like, it at was the center supposed of the to stage. Be the, it was supposed to be the uh, the jewelry box couple. When she, like, opens up the jewelry box, that was supposed to be them. But, like, that is not an important part of the song at all. Yeah. No, for sure. And so what I would have liked to see in that moment is, like, Ariel's emotions on her face as she's like singing the song and not like couple dancing in the darkness 
<laughs> so just yeah. awkward. So weird. And um, I thought it was incredibly tacky that that money shot that's in the movie where she's on the rock and the waves come up behind her, right? Like one of the most iconic shots in the Disney library. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I knew it was coming. And I was like, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And they like did a 180 on the rock and then like framed her against like the projection background and they like yeah. attempted to do it. And I was like, terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Oh, well, man. Chris, despite the poor execution across the board, in our opinions, I will say that 9.01 million viewers watched. Wow. And that made it the highest rated made for TV musical on any network since Grease Live. And it was also the highest rated entertainment telecast since the series finale of Big Bang Theory in May of 2019. So despite our opinions and despite the what Wikipedia calls mixed to negative reviews, <laughs> Disney got what they wanted, which was eyes on their product. Yep. And there were tons of Disney Plus advertisements going on during that broadcast. Enough about Little Mermaid Live. Let's get that blood pressure back down. Let's answer some emails. All right. So we had one email this week and it came from one of our very good friends, former camp counselor. Lauren Liebert, a.k.a. Liebs. It's been a long time, Liebs. So happy to hear from you. She says, hi, friends. Wow, it's been way too long. I hope you're both doing well. I've been listening to your podcast and absolutely love them. Disney's the best, and the way you guys debate movies is funny, entertaining, and just plain fun. Thank you, Liebs. You two are great, and I just wanted to make sure you know that. Keep up the great work. <laughs> I'm blushing. In your last podcast, you mentioned you might discuss some underrated Disney movies, and I felt like I had to email you to mention some that I think you should consider. Oliver and Company, Brother Bear, Sword in the Stone, and Treasure Planet. And others you mentioned, like Hercules, Tarzan, Lilo, and Stitch. Anyways, miss you guys. Wish you all the success and happiness. Always, Lauren Liebert, a.k.a. Liebs, heart emoji. So these are some these are some good ones. Um, Oliver and Company did not have a dog make our dog bracket, which was um, much to Nina's dismay. And... Uh, I actually recently watched Sword in the Stone for the first time, um, maybe like a month ago, and I had some thoughts on it, but I didn't realize that this was a movie a lot of people cared about. Um, my girlfriend's family grew up watching Sword in the Stone, and it's like one that they all know and love. Um, so I would love to talk about that one. Are there any any ones in there that you uh, pop out to you? Uh, Brother Bear specifically, only because I've seen that once, and it wasn't when it came out in theaters. It was like when it was available on Netflix, so the first time I saw it was in college. And what really got me in that movie was like it was once again a soundtrack by Phil Collins. <laughs> so, so I don't remember too much from the movie, and when we do our underrated bracket or whatever we decide to call that, I'm going to have to rewatch it, but that sticks out to me as something that I probably enjoyed and I will enjoy again. Well, next time we record this podcast, Disney plus will be out and we will be streaming all of these movies for research purposes. Hopefully we can write it all off on our taxes. Hopefully. Um, and yeah, I cannot wait to dig a little bit deeper <laughs> into all of these <laughs> underrated movies. You oh, like boy. the princess and the frog reference. That was a good I love one. It. I love it. All right, let's get down to business. We've got the final four, the best Mighty Duck bracket, starting with our first matchup, number eight, Fulton Reed versus number five, 
Jesse Hall. Kyle Skinner, why don't you go ahead and start us off? All right. Quick recap, Fulton Reed. Big, big dude. He's the enforcer of the team. Half of the Bash brothers, along with Dean Portman, has a wicked slap shot. Um, had to learn to skate in the first movie in order to even be on the team, uh, but overcame that obstacle and made the team and became a driving force for them. Jesse Hall was only around for two movies, but was the OG leader of the Ducks. Um, in D2, he hooks up with uh, Russ Tyler to teach the rest of the Ducks a little bit about playing as a team against stiffer competition. He, too, is an enforcer. He's just a little bit smaller than uh, Fulton Reed over there. Um, and he's the point of the Flying V. Now, despite Jesse not making it to D3 for whatever reason, maybe he went to a different school, maybe he dropped out, who knows? Jesse Hall didn't make it to D3 and we'll never know why. The fact that he is able to play this kind of leadership role He's an incredible skater. He is the point man of the V, which means that he has no idea what's happening behind him. He has to have trust in his teammates. Uh, he's an, a great skater. Uh, you have Fulton, who has a, a great slap shot. What did he say? One out of five times. Um, people run away from it, which is great. Clears the front of the net, allows for a dirty rebound, put away goal. But I think when it comes down to who am I going to put on my team, who do I think is going to benefit the team the most, it's going to be somebody like Jesse Hall, who has his heart in it from the beginning. Uh, he's skeptical of every newcomer because he cares about his team and wants only the best for them, doesn't want his team to be taken advantage of. I'm going Jesse Hall. I completely disagree. I actually don't see Jesse Hall as a leader on the Ducks. I understand that he's the point of the flying V and I do like the idea of him like welcoming Russ Tyler onto the team and him kind of being like the bridge um, in between the old ducks and the new ducks I guess but I just cannot overlook his problems with banks and you know he constantly calls him a cake eater and when he when Banks walks into the locker room to join the Ducks in the first movie, Jesse does not want to have anything to do with him, does not want him on the team. And I I just don't like that attitude. I, I don't really see him as a leader off the ice. I don't really see him as a good locker room presence. And I think he's one of those players that is a great, great hockey player, but you kind of have to overlook the off the ice stuff to um, justify having him on your team. On the other hand, you got Fulton Reed, who probably is less consistent of a hockey player. Like you said, Kyle, he was a one out of five shot. It's a Disney movie, so usually he makes his one in that big moment. So he kind of does come in the. So he does come through in the clutch. Realistically, though. Uh, I probably wouldn't call him a clutch performer. Um, I don't know. I think what we said last episode was really, really important about the Ducks falling in line behind Fulton in the first movie when they're very resistant to the idea of becoming the Ducks when Bombay opens up the box of jerseys and he's trying to convince them a bunch of stuff about Ducks that I don't think is actually real nature facts about ducks but um 
yeah, Fulton's like, I'll be a duck, and then everyone falls in behind him. Whereas um, Jesse was kind of one of those people in the corner that was like, wanted nothing to do with it. So I feel I like think- Fulton wanted to, he was like, yeah, I'll be a duck because he had nothing else really going for him. He was kind of just grabbed off the streets and brought into the locker room. Like, what is he going to say? No, I'm not going to be a duck. <laughs> like, there, of course he is. He has nothing else. I guess you could make the argument that he was going to be a football player. And he does say that, and Bombay does ask him about that. And he says, is it true about the scholarship? Referring to the football scholarship, where he is not allowed to play hockey. And Fulton says, people talk, or something like that, kind of indicating that maybe it's not true, but maybe it is true. It was kind of a cryptic answer, so we don't really know for sure exactly what his situation is. But to me, he comes off as like a drifter, a wanderer, someone who, yeah, doesn't really have a whole lot going for him. And I think that gives him a great perspective, right? So, yeah, you're right. He wouldn't have anything else to do, but he knows that the sport and the team are much more important than the name on the front of the jersey. That's how that's how I read that scene. Like I said in the first episode, I think he's really the only true defenseman on the Ducks, and I think that's extremely valuable. And, you know, in the same way that the Los Angeles Kings want to lock up Drew Doughty for a really long time, or the San Jose Sharks want to lock up Brent Burns for a really long time, or the Blackhawks want to lock up Duncan Keith for a really long time, the Ducks are going to want to lock up Fulton Reed for a really long time. Jesse Hall is not a franchise player. Fulton Reed is on and off the ice. So I have Fulton Reed advancing to the finals, the best Mighty Duck bracket, which means... We are going to the tiebreaker. Kyle Reeves, what do you got on this matchup? This is a difficult one because Jesse, while not making it into the third installment, not making it to Eden Hall, is very prevalent in the first two iterations of the movie. He's very, very much um, somebody that everyone on the team looks towards. And clearly when when Bombay is trying to win over the room, both, um, both with with District 5 turning them into the Ducks, and uh, when he returns to uh, Team USA, um, a lot of it boils down to everyone looking towards Jesse and see what he's going to be doing. So in that regard, he's a very skilled player, and uh, he's clearly a leader um, with the team as well. Uh, But I also agree that Fulton Reed is um, very much so, if not even more of a leader. I think... There, there's, there's a couple of different types of people. You've got the people that um, they say they want to be a leader and they want to be a vocal leader, and you also have the people that lead by their actions. Um, and I think that's kind of the difference between these two. Is Jesse Hall? He's, he's their vocal leader, um, and everybody looks towards him. But Fulton Reed, when it comes down to it, um, you know, I think back to the championship game when he's literally willing to fight the entire Hawks bench. Um, sticking up for his teammates because the Ducks, like you guys said, they're all he has. Um, and when it comes to on-ice skills, he has the best shot on the team. The accuracy problems can be worked out. The skating problems can be worked out. And he's still a decent enough defenseman that Coach O'Ryan has him on his first defensive line 
Uh, Coach Orion of the defense is everything variety, meaning he really respects Fulton Reed's uh, defensive abilities come the time that they get to Eden Hall. Um, so with that all being said, I'm awarding it to Fulton, and he's moving to the finals. Defense wins championships. It's true. As the bet, oh my god, oh my god, best mighty duck, best mighty duck, and it's Fulton Reed making it. Into Jesse the Hall was in two movies. He didn't even end his career as a duck. What do you, what does that say about him as a player? Don't come at me with this. How many movies they were in? We went into this last time. All right, Chris, let's hop over to the other side of the bracket. Who do we got? We got number two, Adam Banks, versus number 11, Connie Moreau. So, you all listened to episode one. You know how high I am on Adam Banks. This is a franchise player, very skilled player, and a guy who's your first line center, right? The entire team falls in behind him on the ice. Connie, obviously not the type of finesse player that Adam Banks is, but she makes up for that with her mental game. She's very driven. Um, She's a great teammate. She, at one point in D2, when the Iceland players have her cornered and they're about to basically perform an illegal hit on her and Dwayne Robertson comes off the bench and he wrangles the Iceland guys. One of the Iceland guys says something about being a lady and then Connie says, thanks Dwayne, but I'm no lady, I'm a duck. And I'm like, then like that's like the thesis statement for Connie Moreau. Right. When you think of what this team is, Connie Moreau embodies what it means to be a duck she is not the best player skill wise but she perhaps has the most drive out of anyone on the team some of you might have seen the tweet that uh the mouse madness twitter account shared from disney plus where they're going to be creating a new mighty ducks reboot for the streaming platform where it involves a player getting kicked off the ducks. Yeah. What? And and my response was like, what? Like no one gets kicked off the ducks. Like the ducks are a team of misfits and weirdos and they all become a family and they learn how to get along with each other. Right. And Adam Banks learns how to do that. Yeah. I think it's really great that he kind of loses that attitude that he has when he first joins the team where it's all about just playing the hockey and all about the winning and all about scoring the goals. And yeah, he's concerned about the scouts in D2 and he gets put on varsity in D3. But I think he does learn what it means to be a duck, you know, being a part of the team, being a part of the family. But I think Connie is really central to that family. And so if I'm asking myself which of these players is the best hockey player, it would be Banks for sure. But if we're talking about which one's the best duck, factoring in everything that it means to be a duck, I think Connie represents that a lot better. So believe it or not, I'm going with the upset here, and I'm going with Connie Moreau over Adam Banks. I last episode called Connie the heartbeat of the ducks. 
she embodies that duck spirit she is a leader in the locker room a leader on the ice and her gracefulness on the ice makes her a better skater than a lot of the opposing team skaters which makes up for her lack of offense although she's a great puck handler and i agree with you completely uh, i think that connie if we're thinking best duck especially because in uh D2, when Adam's thinking about uh, scouts, uh, Kyle brought that up last episode, and I think that really resonated. Like, he, he's not always in the duck mindset. He's oftentimes looking out for only himself, and I think that's not the duck mentality. The ducks look out for each other, and Connie does that through and through. So I agree with you, Chris. Connie's moving on to the finals for me, too. Kyle Reeves, reaction. No real reaction to it. I think you guys said everything that needed to be said. I will steal your fun, your thunder on the fun facts variety, however. Oh, love it. And let you guys it. know that there is wow. there has been rumors abundant um, for a while that when they were originally filming D1, um, the original actor they had chosen for Adam Banks, um, there are claims of entitlement, and real bradish behavior and things like that, and be eventually becoming um, so toxic that they had to recast oh. and uh, essentially tell uh, this young actor that we will be moving on without you. Um, <laughs> so there is an ongoing search to find out who this original Adam Banks was um, in the in the Ducks community. That is uh, that has really been a hot button topic for a while. Oh, I love that. Well, this guy sounds like an actual cake eater. A little he seems bit. like he's perfect for the character, kind of. A little bit. Wow. Well, I hope we I hope we find out one day, and I hope it's someone that like we know. Yeah, for real. I I feel like if it was somebody that was, um, not so, uh, well, uh, or or not necessarily relevant, uh, anymore, the the news would have come out who the person was. But I feel like there's been a a very um, well-kept secret about it because of maybe some stature they've gained since then. It's probably Jonah Hill. Probably. Could be. My money's on Jonah Hill, the original Adam Banks. Okay, well, here we are. We have reached the final matchup of the best Mighty Duck bracket. Over on one side, we have the number eight seed, Fulton Reed. On the other side, we have the number 11 seed, Connie Moreau. I don't remember a matchup in our podcast history where the seeds were uh, this low in our in our bracket. I think that is a testament to the demographic that we surveyed. The fake Disney jersey-wearing population is not very educated when it comes to their actual sports knowledge, which is not surprising, honestly. Not surprising. Not surprising at all. All right, well, I'll go ahead and start this discussion. We talk a lot about like what it means to be a duck, and a lot of it has surrounded loyalty. And I think that's been obvious with these two characters. You bring up that Fulton was the first to say, like, yeah, I'll be a duck. Uh, we have Connie, who I've described as the heartbeat of the team. Uh, you have Fulton, who uh, is not only loyal to the ducks, but loyal to his teammates and, and sticks up for them. And even when like Charlie leaves... He leaves with Charlie because he feels like the team's been wronged and that Charlie was in the right. And you have Connie who also shows loyalty, especially to Charlie, just like Fulton, when she sticks up for him when the team's in detention and they're making fun of Charlie 
and she's telling them she's essentially distracting them from being focused on an individual and being focused on the team by starting this this quack chant um and getting them out of detention uh i think when it comes to hockey skills it's there's an interesting thing where it it's do you want the graceful playmaker that, who is Connie or do you want the enforcer sometimes finisher who is Fulton and I think that if you're going to be building a team of Mighty Ducks you want somebody who can work with the team no matter what situation um, I think that Fulton falls into a very uh, narrow category where he is used in certain situations and I think that Connie is used throughout the game she can be a playmaker she can set up other people um, and I think that when you balance her leadership not only in the locker room but on the ice being the heartbeat of the team and put that up against Fulton who is the enforcer also uh, a leader within the locker room but not quite the heartbeat that I think that Connie is I'm choosing Connie as the best Mighty Duck. Kyle, I think that if I'm completely redrafting the team and I only have two contracts to give out that are long-term deals, I would give them to these two players. I think both of these players are very deserving of being in the finals, and I think both of these players, I would be fine with giving them the title of best Mighty Duck. To me, it comes down to who are you counting on most on the ice and who are you counting on the most off the ice and I think the consistency of Connie as an athlete is important and extremely valuable but I really believe in Fulton's ability to come through when it matters the most both on and off the ice this is a guy who seems to do well under pressure and not to mention, he seems like the kind of guy who is willing to adapt to changing environments, changing situations in the locker room, on the ice. And you don't really get to see that from Connie. She's definitely socially in the core group of Ducks. She's in there with Charlie and Goldberg and Averman and Gee. Definitely one of the more likable characters and probably one of, if not the most popular player on the team, according to her teammates. But I love the way that in D2, Fulton embraces a friendship with Dean. This guy that at first when the old ducks meet the new ducks, they're all butting heads and you can see Dean and Fulton getting right up close to each other and they're kind of getting into it and they're like, oh, like, you think you're so tough? I'm so tough. Like, I'm the tough guy. Like, And then they become really good friends and they fall asleep in the same dorm room listening to rock music and they even go so far as welcoming Ken Wu to their little Bash Brothers team. Some guy who doesn't exactly profile like that, a lot smaller than them, doesn't look like them at all and you know, they're happy to make him one of them. So I just think that that speaks a lot to who Fulton is as a guy and as a teammate. And I think being a great teammate, being a supportive teammate, welcoming outcasts is part of what it means to be a duck. I think that Connie does that too at times, but I just think that you have more evidence in the things that Fulton does. So 
And I just can't get over the fact that he's at a premium position and on the power play and putting him at the point, right? This guy's a special teams whiz. You're going to go one you're for gonna, five. You're going to flip the puck. You're going you're gonna to set up the umbrella and you're going to flip the puck back to him every single time. Who's going to give it to him? In overtime. Connie. Let's say you're in overtime. Three on three overtime. Fulton's on the ice every single time. Connie's probably not even out there. Oh, are you joking? Of course yes. she's out there. No. No. You're going to put like Banks out there with With Connie. Averman and Connie's going to be or... there to set everybody up. No. Yes, no, 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 no. Oh, absolutely. No. I don't think so. She has the complete game. Mm-mm. So when all is said and done, I am awarding Fulton Reed the Best Mighty Duck Award, which means for the third bracket in a row, we have a tie. So this one's going to go over to Kyle Reeves. I hope you did your research for this matchup because this is all on you. Is it Connie or is it Fulton? I feel like I'm lining up a penalty shot against the Hawks right now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go glove side, stick side, what I'm going to do here. Um when when we look at the parameters of what this this bracket is about, both being who you would take for your team, uh, how they are on the ice, how they are off the ice, the things that I look at are are they skilled enough on the ice, and do they have room to grow on the ice as well? Um, do they? bring people together or do they separate them um and how how well do they work with with their teammates around them both on and off the ice as well um i think when you separate it down to that um on the ice i think connie is a better teammate on the ice as in setting up players um for for shots she's on the original flying v um, she's a great facilitator on the ice. Um, off the ice, I really like what you said, Chris, about um, in D2 when they brought in the new people. The, the division that could have been made by Dean Portman driving through the old Ducks and the new Ducks, that's something that could have split them from the very beginning and they never could have recovered from. And it seems like Fulton winning him over uh, and embracing his role as a bash brother um, really kind of set the tone for everybody else um, melding together and, and becoming, um, you know, a gold medal winning team. Um, but when we get down to the real guts of this, when I look at it, Fulton Reed is the one that stands up and says, I'll be a duck. And everything else falls into line after that. He has the on-ice presence. He has the on-ice shot. Not to mention the fact that his skills are growing. He he didn't start playing hockey until he was a teenager. Um, so there's plenty of room for potential. And you know the leadership is going to be there. Even from the time where he wasn't playing hockey, he was sticking up for him. Um, this is... You, you can tell the team means a lot to him and that he wants to be there with the team. And that is why he is the greatest Mighty Duck, Fulton Reed. All right, everyone, we need to give a round of applause to Fulton Reed. Congrats to Fulton. Fulton Reed has been inducted into the Mouse Madness Hall of Fame Best Mighty Duck. 
according to the Mouse Madness podcast. Wow. I feel like Kyle Skinner had a lot of bad bounces this bracket. I think that this is my worst bracket to date, and I feel like I did the most preparation for it. Maybe it's because I hadn't seen it in a very long time, so I had to essentially binge it all and figure it out. But I was very confident in all of my choices and all of my arguments that who I was choosing was going to do it. And quite literally, I think I won maybe one matchup that went to Kyle. So yeah, uh, that was a wake-up call, and I'm ready to come back next bracket, uh, ready to take another, another W. I just want to thank Kyle for coming and probably being one of our more prepared guests we've ever had. Uh, you came with a lot of knowledge, you came with a lot of heart, and I think us and the listeners really appreciated that, so thank you. Thank you guys for having me, it was a lot of fun. Um, finally getting to use all this Mighty Duck knowledge that I have um, gathered over plenty of viewings, so it was, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys offering to me. Alright, well, until next time, you all know how to find us, follow us on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Or send us an email. We love them. So send us one at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, folks, ducks fly together. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. Talk like you.